Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. Tony Nash, the CEO of Booktopia, back with you today. And this is one for me. I'm so sorry that I've invited all of you along to listen to this podcast, but actually, this is just for me because I have Philip Levinson, the debut author, debut author I believe, Philip, debut, his debut book um, on being a CEO. And I'll just read out to you now his title, Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond. So um, you can listen in, um, but this is really just Philip and I having a bit of a chat about how I can do a better job as a CEO. Welcome to the program, Philip. Thank you very much. And I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Good on you. That's so great. And and um, I mean, I am being cheeky when I say that, but when I did see the uh, the request to come through Three Peaks Leadership, how to make it as a CEO and beyond, I mean, obviously I'm a CEO, but um, like you're, I don't know, always, but I am you know looking for constant improvement. So any insights or things for me that I can then bring back to my my business, I'm always up for that. Um, right. Just so, just out of curiosity, just to give people a bit of background, your um, I guess not so much qualifications, but your your experience and what makes you a subject matter expert on on Three Peaks leadership and being a CEO. Well, thank you. So, um, Three Peaks leadership was was originally um, titled "Mistakes I Have Made" by Philip Levinson, but um, and after the third volume, I thought we could pare it down a bit and call it something a bit more generic. But it really goes to um, the jobs that I've had as CEOs of public companies. That having been said, it's a bit of a misnomer because to me, and I'm sure to you as well, CEO is just a leader of a business. And you can be a leader of a public company as you are, or a, a leader of a business that you've set up uh, with a staff of one and anything in, in between. So. It's about taking responsibility. It's about being the leader. It's about setting the course, setting the strategy, setting the culture. Mm. And and just talk then about the companies, the size of companies that you've kind of led in the past. So my first CEO job was as the CEO of an entity called Cambridge Industrial Trust, which was a real estate investment trust or REIT, listed on the Singapore Stock Exchange, which was where I was living. And that had a market cap of some 800 million Singh. My job there was to stabilize the company and sell it, which, which we did after three years. Um, I realized very quickly how ill-prepared I was to take the CEO role, despite the fact that one, it had been something I've been looking to do all my life. And two, I've been spending months reading into the job and doing my due diligence. Um, only to arrive on the first day and get smacked in the head with how, how little I knew. Took that experience um, and a few of the learnings to the second job, which was to IPO, thing that we call the Cromwell um, European REIT, which was, again, a real estate investment trust based in Singapore, so listed in Singapore, with assets uh, across five countries in Europe, which added to the geographic and time zone uh, complexity, um, which we which we took through IPO, which in itself was a was a whole another story and, and a particularly interesting path. And my job there was to take it from concept to reality, put it through the IPO process, run it to stability, and then and then hand it over, which I did about a year and a half ago. 
So given that you see, you talked before about you know, being the CEO of a company of one, which of course, that's what I was when I started Booktopia. Well, not so much one. It was an evening project that I was working on the side because I've been in business with my brother and my sister, my brother-in-law for um, many years. And, and I actually, well, I did have a business before them and I got them to join me. So I, I know what it's like to have started the business when it is just one and you kind of attract people along the way. But being, um, being appointed as the CEO of a company where there was already lots of people working there, um, what was the, you know, what was the jolt? What was the being thrown into a, an ice bath kind of, you know, moment where you realized how little you knew and how much you thought you knew? What, and I assume there's a lot of people, not even as a CEO, as being a leader and you've, you've got a team of people underneath you. Uh, where, where's, the, uh, where's the typical gap and where we, where we fall short of what the, uh, the the job description you know the reality and and the and the perception yeah it's it's a great question and i i'm going to give you the compliment of an honest answer uh in my case and this shouldn't be the case for everybody in my case i think it was the 10th minute of my new appointment when i called for a management meeting and sat down with my senior management team all of whom i'd met previously in my due diligence but now i was in the job and um I said, look, anything, you know, hi, I'm Lev. It's nice to see you all again. Is there anything that you think I should know? And there was some muttering at the end of the table. And they came back and said, uh, yeah, a third of the staff are looking to leave because they haven't had a pay rise for three years. So that was the, um, that was the moment. That was, and I love your analogy of a cold bath because that's exactly what happened to me. That woke me up. Uh, and, it, and it just went from there. So um, I think one of, the, one of the exhortations is that you prepare, 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 and you get into the job and you realize you haven't prepared enough, no matter how much you prepare. And I think it's, it's, it's been proven in surveys of CEOs by, by headhunters that um, no matter how hard you prepare, no matter uh, how much due diligence you think you've done, you're never going to prepare enough. And actually that's okay. If you have a if you have a plan for dealing with it, in my case, I had no idea that I hadn't prepared enough, and so it was again to use your, that analogy. It was the real cold bath, right? But um, I mean, one of the the mantras that I use for myself, and when I do my public speaking or I, you know, talking to the, my kids or whoever, is that um, I say the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask. Yeah. So I can only imagine though being put into that situation or any situation uh, it's about it's about being being able to ask good quality questions which then gains the respect of of the people that are reporting into you did you did you did you already have that as part of your skill set from what you had done before that you could at least um f- you know find out what needed to be addressed or were you still flying blind by that stage Look, I think it's a great point, and I, I love that uh, uh, reference to questions. I think it's incredibly important. And I think on balance, I knew what I wanted to know, um, but was I actually listening to the answers? And that was one an, another lesson. I asked, I asked the right questions in the main, I think, um, but I might have had a bit of a bias on what I thought the answers were going to be. And therefore, when the answers were given, I adapted 
my thinking to what I thought they'd said, not what they'd actually said. Right. I found myself, you know, several months later thinking, that wasn't what I thought you told me. Right, yeah. So, you know, what you want to hear versus what you're you're hearing and then you the filtering that you apply on that is a good point. That's I'm, exactly I'm sure right. I'm sure my team would probably tell me that, you know, I do that. Obviously I do a lot of things well, but um there's you know, there's always room for improvement. So I'm sure that is definitely one thing that I um that I don't um pay enough attention to. So then okay, how many years ago was that? And you know, so then so my first CEO kicked- job was two thousand thirteen and I finished my last one in two thousand and eighteen. Right. So if you if you accumulated a fair amount of um experience in the meantime in terms of um you know when you look back at that and you go, oh my God, that's embarrassing. Um, you know, what I know now, what I did then, right? So um Moving on to, to today, you sit down with a CEO like me or like anyone and you think about, and the reason why I say the quality of, of your life is determined by the quality of the questions is, is that, for example, um, um, middle of last year, my neighbor, Bruce, he was working in the garden um, trying to get some, you know, some cane out of, the, out of the ground and he was using some sort of pick, pickaxe to do that and then um, he had fallen two meters down onto the bottom, the next embankment, and then another two meters down onto the onto his the driveway, which we kind of adjoining houses, of which he hit his head and knocked himself unconscious, uh, was bleeding, and I didn't see it until I was reversing out of the car a few minutes later, and another person had stopped. Now the two of us are standing around him, going, uh, "I don't know what what should we do?" And luckily, a doctor, even though he was he was an ophthalmologist an eye surgeon had stopped with his wife, got out and asked a hell of a lot more better questions than we were because he, he had been trained as a doctor. So, right. and, and just goes to show, you know, like you, what's your area of skill so you can ask the better questions. So when you, when you think about the book and you wrote the book and then you sit down with, with um, you know, another CEO, someone like myself, uh, what, what questions are you going to be kind of probing in just to see where they're at or, um, you know what? You know what? What could be improved? Where Where do you kind of go to your first port of call to do kind of almost like a an you know a, an asset kind of register of their skills, their their liabilities and their assets? You know where where are they at? Well, the first thing I'd ask is why. Why would you like to be a CEO? And are you up for it? And do you know what you're up for? Because, I mean, as you know, it is all-consuming, or if you allow it to be, it will become all-consuming. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's are, you, are you thick-skinned enough to take the blame? Are you um, enough of a leader to accept that there will be inequity and you will get things pinned on you that absolutely weren't your fault and you had no control over? Mm-hmm. Are you the sort of person who will stand up and say yep it's on me and um and we we take it from here um why do you want to to be a ceo is it for the is it for the the status you know is it for the money which would be a terrible mistake um or is it to to, for you know without overemphasizing because you have a greater calling and the greater calling is I, I, I want to create something or I want to make something better for the fact that I've been part of it. 
Um, and I think I can. I think I've got something to add. And, uh, and I'm prepared to, to take the hits and the 24-7 and the um, responsibility and, you know, the fact that, that if something goes wrong and the phone rings at 3 o'clock on a Sunday morning, you've got to get out there and deal with it. Do you, do you feel like, um, I mean, I have a bit of a funny story. Um, I um, Graze Online is an Australian auction site, right? And I don't know, eight, eight or nine years ago, I was on there because we were buying stuff for our business, secondhand furniture for the business because uh, it's cheap. And while I was on there, I saw that there was a Rolls Royce um, up for auction. So, you know, haha, Rolls Royce, isn't that funny? So I put a bid in in the morning. As right? you do. And, uh, you know, really low. And I and it came to the afternoon. I thought, oh, I wonder what it sold for. And then I, I got into my in- inbox and it was like, congratulations, you own a Rolls Royce. Now, um, <laughs> I, um, so I had it for three months. I really enjoyed driving it around. I took my nephew to and his friends to their six, uh, year 12 formal. Um, <laughs> I would take my son to his soccer training and pull out, you know, the roller and there was so there was a few things that were kind of nice about it, but I can assure you, I was lucky enough to have bought it so cheap that when I sold it as a trade in, I got my money back, and so I wasn't I wasn't out of pocket. Um, but it was a bit of like you know tick that box done. I don't need to own another roller in the, for the rest yeah. of my life. Not because it wasn't great; it was it was incredible, but it just wasn't me. It's it's like you know it's just one of those things. And do you feel that with us being a CEO that um, it's a bit of, I want to tick that box, but, and once they get there, it's just like, oh, you know, being there, done that. It's like, I do not, that is, you know, I didn't, I never want to be a CEO again. Or do you feel like, um, does it really separate, you know, the wheat from the chaff? Does it separate those that, that do or don't? Um, how, how have you seen that kind of shake out with, yeah. with CEOs that you've met? Well, I think it, it really depends on, on how prepared they were going in for coming out um, and it's something that I exhort because it was it was something that was that was drummed into me on the you know the moment you start the job you've got to be thinking about how you finish this where you know what do you what does success look like and how do you finish it and and what are you going to do if there's an unexpected finish which happens to many CEOs? Um, and how do you pick yourself up and, and move forward? And I think that's what distinguishes you from, or distinguishes the wheat from the chaff. Um, those who've had a terrible experience don't want to do it again. Those who've had an interesting experience, might have been good or bad, but it was definitely interesting, think, well, you know, there's probably one more of these in me. And it's a shame, and it's one of the reasons I wrote the book. It's a shame to have had all of that unique experience, and it is as you know, a very, very unique experience. It's a shame to have that unique experience and not be able to, to pass it on or to, to um, capitalise on that and grow from it. Uh, but I think that, you know, CEOs as a, as a genre, business leaders as a genre are set up um, and, and are hammered, particularly in the public arena. And, and there are times when you just think, really, is, it, is this what I really want? I've done it, as you say, but I think what's interesting is when when you start talking to CEOs, one of the first questions that they ask once they've achieved that pinnacle, and I certainly did, is now what? I'm here. 
Well done. Congratulations as you sort of tap yourself on the shoulder. And then this big now what comes. And again, one of the reasons for writing a book on it is not to tell you what to do in that moment. It's just to give you some, some pointers of things to think about, things to do, things to not do. Mm. So do you feel, um, I'm a founder CEO, so um, I've grown the business from zero to over 200 million in revenue, over you know, 220 staff. Um, it, it's, it's massive. But is there then a difference between like um, a CEO for hire um, versus a founder CEO really at the end of the, like, uh, I mean, I know, I know the DNA of our business um, and a lot of the business has come from me, but at the end of the day, the business is separate to me and it, it is, it is a, an organism of its own accord. Do, do you see, uh, is this book kind of more written more for those that an, appoint, an appointed CEO who then come in and then need to, to get the organization into, into some order or, um, and, and can have a vision of how this can operate better, which of course they wouldn't take on the job if they didn't think they could do it better. Uh, it would be, it would be a shame and embarrassing if the, if it was just simply I'm just going to be a caretaker while we you know while while we crash and burn that's that's just it's not even in my thinking, no. um, but but and and therefore I found this because I'm I, I was just I'll ask with that question first because I got another question okay. after that. One of the things I love about what you just said is the fact that your organ your organism grows of its own accord, which I think is a great compliment to you. Um, I'm working with a number of founding CEOs. And one of the reasons that I started looking at founding CEOs as a, as a group that, that may need some assistance is I was talking to a venture capital fund with whom I worked and they said that one of the, one of the greatest causes of failure of the startups that we invest in or we, we look at um, is poor leadership. And that poor leadership comes from the founder. And the founder I mean, in your case, you've, you've circumvented that. But in many instances, the founder, because they're dynamic and, and will work 24-7 and are out way, way ahead of the pack and are strategic and are total extroverts, are not the right people to be running the company. And I'm working with a number at the moment who are actually starting to accept that. Mm. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I said that this, the, the term CEO is, is generic is it covers both those who have come into an organization that's up and running and will continue to be up and running hopefully after they've left and those who are setting up uh, businesses on their own mm. because i think that a lot of the the principles are the same the ability to to set the culture the ability to take responsibility the ability to divine a strategy and 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 bring everybody along with it to communicate to be the front of the organization both internally and externally mm. it's a it's a tricky one because um yeah the, well, the, the other question i was going to ask was is there any ceo university that you can kind of go to um like seriously is we well, there are so many courses for so many skill sets i mean there's leadership seminars and there's there's uh, you know business an mba and all these things that you can do in theory, but of course, um, you and I have been CEOs now. We and for those that are listening that are, you know as well that 90, 95% of it is on the job training and 
and making huge mistakes and learning from them. And so, yeah. but are there are there kind of boot camps or places where where you've now that you've been kind of you've written a book about it, so you may have come across through your through your journey where where wannabe CEOs can go to start into to practice it before they stuff it up in the real environment kind of thing. The honest answer is there isn't. Not that I, I mean, there may well be, but I, it has, I haven't come across it. And actually, it's one of the things that I'm looking to do. So thank you for that, that question. But it would be, you know, if you can imagine if you, if, you are, if you aspire to be a CEO and you can go away for a couple of days with a, with a group of people who are, are similarly, similarly inclined and meet with a, a, a cadre of, of people who are there, there to help. You know, there's a, somebody who does a psychometric assessment, so to assess who you are before you even start the job. And then, um, you know, the uh, meeting someone like yourself and, being, and talking about the journey of a founder and, and how you inculcate your your values and your um, sense of uh, responsibility and your strategy for the business, where the business has actually been successful. And you can point to that and you can point to those mistakes made. And then one of the reasons, and I wrote this in the book, is the end beyond. And if you can, if you can start with the end in mind and you, and you, you know it's not going to be the end of the world when you leave the company. You know, you've planned for it as a succession plan. Even if it was an unplanned exit, you're going to dust yourself off the next day and, and there's something to do. I mean, everybody, everybody needs a plan. Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. But you, you have something to refer back to. Um, so imagine if you were able to do that over a course of a few days with a bit of fun and some, and some, some things that stretched you outside your, your, um, your comfort zone. Um, for me, it's a, it's a, it's, it's highly aspirational, but, um, over the last couple of weeks, we, I've been working with a group of people and we've been inking in that type of thing. Mm, great. Good on you. I mean, one of the things that I did, and for those that have listened to my podcast before the, um, I talk about it, but then I also got to interview Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad. And yes. before, well, before he wrote rich dad, poor dad, I did a course called the business school for entrepreneurs, which was in Hawaii for 16 days and and it started at seven in the morning in your running team and it finished at 2 a.m in your marketing teams and you had workshops and 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 people were flown in from around the world to cover lots of different areas of expertise and i i do really um reflect on that because i didn't start my company until three years later my first company in recruitment for the computing industry in 96 and so having that kind of um practicing or um situational kind of uh, role playing where you can put your put your thinking um, to use and and deep in your own personal process debrief afterwards and go what did I learn from that what could I yeah. do better which, yeah. which is which is my learn which is my learning style it may not be for everyone else someone else might prefer to go to Harvard and do an MBA and 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 feel like they've they've got it's not me so so that that was one thing but I, I will share a story if I mean I know this is really about you Philip and, and no, it's your not. and your book. Um, but um, I will share an interesting story because there's a guy by the name of Brendan Nichols who's actually used to train with um, 
with Robert Kiyosaki and he went off and did this other workshop called Future Warrior. And I was a recruiter at the time in the computing industry and it was a men's workshop and it was about not, a, you know, the men's movement, which is about being more empowered and, and therefore being, you know, you know, better men in the world. And there's many other programs that are out there. But as the course started off, um, you kind of had to choose four areas of the room, which you thought that you, that kind of who you were um, and the archetypes, king, lover, warrior, magician. And I, I put myself in magician because I thought I was, you know, like Merlin, you know, in the background doing, doing all the magic um, as a recruiter. And, and when people would then, it was in the beginning of the course, they looked at you and they said, no, no, you're going to go into the warrior. You're going to be a warrior. You are a warrior and you better own that you're a warrior. And through that weekend, I realized how much of how, how I was not owning my ability to be a salesman and to be out there and really accomplishing things. And it really helped me kind of get, um, be a better, be better at what I was doing and not kind of being an imposter or something, not being an imposter, but, but kind of not owning the fact that I was the one that was really going out. I was the hunter, you know, not the, not the gatherer kind of. Yeah. And so that was really helpful. And then he did, he had this other workshop later on, a year or so later, called True King. And it was very limited. Only, I think, 15 people were allowed to go. And it was about leadership. And I thought, well, I got so much out of that warrior workshop. I want to go because I was getting closer to starting my own company. I was really thinking about that. Ah, I better go, better go to that workshop. It was up in Byron Bay. And I was completely confronted on how useless I was as a leader Wow. And the feedback that I got from the other men that were there in terms of uh, I didn't have the integrity, no one really had the had the um, confidence to to follow me um, about, about what I was saying. So there was just like it was I was because there was other guys there who who had been running companies and had had experiences leadership. I'd never had any leadership skills. And although it was just really dis, you know, it was uncomfortable. But I, not either, it was not enjoyable, but I appreciated the feedback and then I could really take that on and go, well, what am I going to change yeah. to be able to be a better leader? And that, when I started my first company, I was not a great leader. I remember I was terrible. I was, I was really just not, not empowering anyone at all. And it took probably 10 years. But this is uh, the reason why I share that with uh, those that are listening is that you're not expected to be perfect, great, good from day one. No. Like you got to say, bring it on. You got to be able to go. Well, I'm just going to keep getting better. Uh, you're going to keep getting better. And and that I just wanted to share with those that are listening that uh, even though people might look at me today and go, oh, he's the leader of Booktopia, CEO, then my team is really behind me and they're empowered and we've done amazing things. You know, I was crap at the beginning and even before I started people thought that I was and maybe I'm maybe they they had if you ask them maybe they had better, more confidence in me but the feedback that I took on was that I was not that great and right then and there maybe they had believed that sometime in the future I could be but that I was you know, that I had to really shift a lot um, yeah. and so this is why when I ask you the question about is there a university or is there some place where you can really go because it really is about the role playing it really is it's one of the things about being the CEO of Booktopia or of any company, things come out of left field. Oh, yeah. And you've got to be able to say, bring it on. Like, yeah. just because it's not going to be some perfect ride, you know, with 
the queen in her carriage going down through Pall Mall and waving to the crowd and goes and like stuff is going to happen. Bombs are going to go off as you know, metaphorically. And so you've got to be able to adapt. And this is why it's, it's exciting. If, if you guys are thinking of putting something together where people can go and really, really be challenged on the way that they go about things, because there isn't any workshops out there. There's no courses. There's no like, Oh, now, you know, I'm applying for the CEO job. And now let me just look at your resume here and go, Oh, right. You've got a, you did a CEO, uh, you did a doctorate in, C, in your PhD yeah. in CEO. Lovely. Oh, terrific. Oh, well, you all right. Well, you, you're yeah. in the, you're going to go around to the second, your second round interview. Not at all. No. Amazing. Uh, yeah. But you've actually, I mean, in that you've, you've, you've explored some very interesting things. Number one, self-awareness. When I talked to um, somebody I interviewed for my book about what they looked for as a chair of a board in their CEO, first thing they said with no hesitation was self-awareness. And that was backed up by one of the headhunters that I spoke to. If you don't have that self-awareness, you're in a world of pain before you've even started. <laughs> and of course, you don't know that you are because you lack the self-awareness. So what you were talking about is extraordinary that you got that, that level of self-awareness. The other thing, though, is, to, is and I learned this, um, is to be kind to yourself. You know, so yes, by all means, um, be looking to improve constantly and, and ways in which you can. And, you know, for me, it's about, it's about learning, but it's also, and I'll come on to it if I may in a second, it's also about the people around me and learning from them. Um, but there is an element, and I was very bad at it, in being kind to yourself and saying, you know what? No, you didn't do that. You didn't handle that very well. And, and you deserve to get slapped on the head for it. Now, you've been slapped in the head. You've got an hour lying in the fetal position on your sofa weeping. Now get up and let's get, let's get cracking. This is actually, I mean, it, it's, it's, for me, it was very important. I realized I wasn't a great leader. I took a little bit of a, of a, um, of an eccentric step, I guess. And I joined at 36, I joined the Royal Australian Navy reserve to learn how to be a leader. And uh, I have to say that that 20 year experience has been phenomenal. I've been incredibly lucky in the things that I've done, but much more importantly in the people that I've met and the examples of leadership that I've, I've been witness to, even in my limited involvement. You know, when you're on a ship at sea and everybody's looking for the skipper and you find him down in the engine spaces, which is where you don't want to be on a ship at sea in a big storm because it's rocking and rolling and he's sitting down there talking. He's talking to the engineers down there um, because he knows that they'd rather be somewhere else as well, but they can't be, you know, that to me, I mean, that's just one of a myriad of examples, but I, I literally came away from that experience going, what a leader, what a guy. Mm. And you know, there've been some amazing women that I've worked with again in the Navy and in business who've, who've taken on what were seemed to be insurmountable obstacles and, and just crushed it. Mm. And again, you, you sort of think, well, you know, I, I haven't I haven't stretched myself that far, and I've had this example. I need to I need to step up, get out of the comfort zone, step up, and and you know, or or not. And if it's not, that's fine too. But don't be don't try and be a business leader. Go and do something that's more suited to your style and approach. Yeah, so interesting, isn't it? I'm talking to Philip Levinson. The author of actually, I should um, because I'm deep into conversation here. Three Peaks Leadership: How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond. Um, and uh, of course, 
if this is um, peaking, a uh, different type of peak, if it's peaking your interest, then by all means, get down to your local bookshop. And if they don't have it, ask for them to get it, make sure they stock it um, and, and or buy it online at Booktopia or any other online store um, uh, because he has spent time exploring um, the uh, the finer details of becoming a better CEO or a better leader. I mean, to me, a CEO, even though that's chief executive officer and uh, in a in a unlisted or listed company, but mostly in in a listed company, there's going to be a board sitting above you. Um, we've had a board for some time as an unlisted private company, but now that we're listed, we have a board. So it's kind of like, but really, you know, CEO is just. It's a leader, and you're everyone's leading within the organisation. So, um, I I encourage anyone who's thinking of of um, just stepping into a leadership role, understand what a CEO needs to do because you're the CEO of your division or you're the CEO of your your team. Uh, and if you start practicing those skills and management and thinking um, like any CEO, then you never know where your career could go. Would that, does that make does that fit in with your thinking as well it does you know and you can never you can never start too early or too late mm. i mean i remember walking to my first job and and meeting the ceo of of uh, of the company which was a global real estate company who was the most incredible man and he'd been he was you know idolized by his peers and the rest of the industry quite rightly for what he'd achieved and i thought without the idolation and everything else, but the respect with which he was held, I thought that's where I want to go. Mm. And, and was one of the qualities of him, was he still very humble or very grounded? Did he, did you feel like he was, he um, had any kind of, you know, being in the Navy, any stripes on his, sold, on his shoulders, so therefore you had to treat him in a certain way or was he very approachable? So somebody once said to me that the CEO's job was a balance between humility and omnipotence, which I thought was a great, a great way of describing the role. Um, he was he was treated with respect um, that he'd earned, uh, worthy of his rank, but um, was perfectly happy having a chat with a guy who went to the same university as his son and finding out. You know what he thought of it mm. so yeah, i no. remember my first conversation with him very very clearly and um you know that sort of set me on the path interesting isn't it well that's one of the things i remember doing another workshop and something completely unrelated and and i won't go into the detail but through through some feedback um one of the guys that was in my team said said he didn't want to be in my team because he didn't think that i had any integrity and um you know, you hear certain words and I even got the dictionary and I was reading the definition of integrity and I still couldn't understand what the hell it meant. And so it really kind of set me off on a bit of a quest to try and find out what it was that, you know, someone that had integrity. And um, and I started, all I could do in the beginning was trying to observe people that I thought that had it, like Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, um, and listen to their speeches and, and so forth. So I could um, kind of work out, you know, what it was. And it was funnily enough, a few years later, people would say, um, I really like your integrity about, and it was just, so it was actually the quest to, to, um, to try and find a quality within myself that was, that was, um, you know, that was dormant or that was, um, 
not in an um, not in not in use at all. Um, and leadership and being a CEO, I think, is is very much like that. You can't you can't simply be the, your business card and your title does not give you any. Uh, it, it does not give you access to the chairman's lounge. Um, it's um, as you said before. You you earn it through respect. It's it's a lot of hard work. Um, but um, and for those that are committed and 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 want to do the very best they can, then it's it's very very rewarding. Uh, as you said before, well beyond your salary. Oh yeah, look, it's the most multifaceted role you can take. Because you can be an expert in sales and marketing or finance or operations or you know, a myriad of, of different endeavors within the organization. But it's when you step up and you, you can't be the expert, obviously, in all of them, but you need to have the working knowledge and have built a team that you can trust to execute on their part of the business. Leave them as the platform and then step forward and, and, and run the company and, and you know, divine its direction, set its culture, be the public face. Um, you know, I always say be the, the first, uh, the first to give praise and the last to take credit. Because again, it's, and it's, and it, you know, one of the other things that, that we talk about in the book is how lonely it can be. So in the Navy, the captain of the ship dines alone. By, by by historical dint um, and you do find that, that you know and I, I felt as a CEO often that I was dining alone I never knew that and I did not know that that was in fact the case because you know when you watch um, you know Russell Crowe in in Master and Commander you know he, he ate with um, with the crew so uh, well they were the other um, you know the the, the, the officers, he ate with the officers. I didn't realize that actually it was, they dined alone. No, I think it's, I think it stems back to the mutiny on the Bly, but we won't get into that as a leadership topic. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Good point. So are we coming closer to the end of our, our session together? And as I say, always it's plugged and unplanned. So I've never really had kind of like a, a structure to it. Is there anything like when you think about the book or about, some of the insights that you have that we haven't talked about that you'd like to kind of share with the, me and the listeners before we head off. Thank you. Just very quickly, a very, very good piece of advice. It goes back to the loneliness of command. A very good piece of advice I was given that I did actually take um, was to build a board of you. My nickname's Lev. Everybody calls me Lev. So I build a board of Lev. And they are a group of people who are not necessarily, they're not family. They're not um business not in your business they might be in your in your industry but they're people who have your best interests at heart and they're people who can with off whom you can bounce ideas and they and you will get their raw and unvarnished and i have in over the years view on whether that's a smart idea or not knowing that they're not you're not being judged mm. board of you um is i think critical in any leadership role because you are not omnipotent and um, you know, and you're also not on your own because if you put your hand up and you learn to ask for help, you'll get it. And I think too many CEOs and I made this mistake in my first role, too many CEOs think they have to be, they have to be what they're perceived to be. You know, 
the smartest person in the room, the all-seeing, all-knowing, the person to, 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 to follow uh, blindly, um, and the person that's infallible. Of course, you're not. So, so unpaid roles, you're talking about people who you've built friendships with that you can call on, or are they actually paid? Um, are they paid board members? Uh, well, in my instance, uh, my lawyer, uh, I, didn't, I didn't pay him for the role, but it, it sort of morphed. Um, my business coach, um, but primarily, primarily um, friends from within the industry and um, people who literally had shone a light on me over the years, who I, who I wouldn't, in some of them, I, in case I didn't talk to them for a year. But when, when you call them, uh, they answer and, and you say, this is, this is where I'm at and this is what I'm thinking. And they say, all right, let me give that some thought and get back to you. That, that's interesting. I, I mean, I guess we all do it. I've got, I mean, I've got all, I've got that um, brains trust, um, heart trust, um, courage trust that I can tap into, and I do. But then you also have your paid um, trusted advisors as well around lawyers and um, financial experts and so forth. Um, and now I have a board, um, which, uh, who I speak to often and bounce ideas off. Um, so, but to think about it with, with uh, I guess, more intent rather than just feeling like um, you've ended up at a, at a cocktail party and you've, and you've kind of started chatting to a bunch of people and, and you just enjoy that conversation, which is a little bit more of, um, you know, like, you know, whatever the universe is up you get. So I like the idea of, of having, thinking about it in that way with a little bit more purpose. And, um, and without, I mean, the one thing is, of course, um, that you don't, how can I say, overstay your welcome when it comes to their time. Like you've got to be very obviously gracious and given that um, it's mostly unpaid, but um, uh, you, you, don't, you don't want to, you, you don't want to be um, taking the piss in terms of really use, utilizing them more than, and then eventually it sours because, there's not, there's not a fair exchange because yeah so that, that makes sense as well that's it's a good point um, I, I must admit I probably I probably have that but without the same without the you know without the same intent or or um, mission I just use it as an example but it, it you know it's incredibly helpful for me and anybody that I've spoken to about it has also many people have said exactly what you said I've already got that group i just don't have a formal name for them yeah um, but that's because you're evolved but i think when you're starting off or you're going into a new role and you've never been a ceo before it's a useful thing to think about and and just to give people a bit of a kind of a, a helping hand there um yeah, for me it's like uh, legals um it's tax or finance um marketing um hr um are there any other, um, you know, so any I think, other? Yeah, I think that's that's a function. That's a functional. Um, in, those are functional inputs. This is more. I think I'll take the company offshore, or I think we'll pivot this way. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And you get? Are you serious? 
Have you ever, you know, you're out of your mind? And remember what happened last time you did this, that, the other, you, you know, um, it's the ability to have those hard conversations uh, and get the, the raw and unvarnished response and, and have the debate over it as opposed to getting the answer. Mm. They very rarely give you the answer, but they give you the, the platform which to, which to work towards the answer. And they give you other inputs. Um, you know, in my experience, this doesn't work because. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's more three-dimensional rather than yeah, rather than in a very specific consulting kind of. I mean, yeah. I, I must admit, I have most of that kind of feedback at home from my wife. Um, you know, I, are you serious? Um, and um, probably not associated to the business as much as you know my my personal. Um, <laughs> well, that's excellent. That's, that's I report to the CEO at home. I know how it all works. Um, proper proper communication lines. That's right. I just I just have. You know, I've got KPIs at home that I need to achieve, and uh, and uh, you know, there's always the annual review that goes on that you you could do a little better if you tried harder. Um, um, so, look, Philip, thank you so much, and congratulations. Um, you were saying before we started the interview, first of March, uh, yep. the book is out. So, yeah, I wish you well with that and all thank the other right projects now. and programs um, you're embarking on. To thank you. Make, make us better CEOs. Good on you. Yeah, well, thank you very much and congratulations to you for your successful IPO. As I said, I think it's a, it's a very, um, it's an achievement you should be very proud of. Thank you very much. All right. Good. Speak to you soon. Thanks. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Good on Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com dot au